Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught Offside, suburbs of New York City, apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney, what's up, brother? A law, a laparic, a moric, Andrew. That's uh, Gaelic for it's St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. Oh, it sure is. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. I've heard you say before that uh, maybe I'm misquoting you, that St. Patrick's Day is is often feels bigger in New York than it even did back home for you in Ireland. Is that a thing that I've heard you say? Yeah, I think uh, St. Patrick's Day over here is embraced by by so many, whereas in Ireland, oh, we're Irish. There you go. And um, there's so many different St. Patrick's Days. Like, so it's not just a one day long festival as it is in Ireland. It's a month long festival here. You can go to a St. Patrick's Day event or you used to in the before times every single week of the month of March in the United States. And, um, you know, some St. Patrick's Days are better than others. Some are just basically SantaCon for Irish people. So well said, so brilliantly put. It's so true. Those are the two days of the year when when I lived in Queens uh, that I would kind of say to myself, like, don't go into Midtown today. Those two days. Yeah. Now, have you ever done I've, I've done like one of the uh, Manhattan St. Patrick's Day bar crawls. It's it was equal parts fun and the worst. If those two things can live side by side one another, I'd say it was kind of that. Yeah. I mean, I've um, thankfully, like because I'm in Irish American organizations out here, I get to, uh, by the way, the good ones, I get to walk <laughs> down Fifth, Fifth Avenue. You know, I, I last year um, or the year before, rather, I walked down Fifth Avenue, which was really nice. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, have people wave at people wearing a green, a green sweater. And they wave back and there's like loads of people on the street. So I, I, I try and avoid the, the crowded bar thing. It's not fun. It's just not fun. And it's, um, yeah, it's not necessarily the best way to celebrate your Irishness. Some of my, same, some of my St. Patrick's Day memories, real quick, coincide, are, are particularly fun because oftentimes they coincide with March Madness. And so I have so mm. many great memories of like being in, our, in my mid-20s, going to watch Syracuse in the tournament, like, but also simultaneously celebrating St. Patrick's Day. And it's just like, and if Syracuse wins, it's just like joyous everywhere and could can be really, really fun. Yeah, and there's a reason for your joy. Whereas, you know, it, I'm proud to be Irish, but it, it's not the only thing about me. And, and there's certain, you know, you know, walking down the street, just, you know, I'm Irish. Well done. Well done. You know, I, I, I feel weird about that a little bit. So proud of my culture, but not all elements of it. And so it's it's a weird day. Huh. You found a way to make it somber. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, this should be a fun podcast. I'm looking forward to this. There was some uh, some Champions League action, second legs today. We'll get into that. There was some just, we're talking about joyous, joyous news for the U.S. men's national team during this uh, past few days. We'll talk about what that was. We've got some Thoughts from the weekend. I know we're a few days removed from uh, from a lot of it, but we will talk a little bit about the uh, the state of the Premier League. A kind of look at title race, top four, relegation. Kind of a quick uh, quick overview of some of that. We've got uh, a mailbag to look forward to. And you, I know we're talking about St. Patrick's Day at some point during this podcast. Uh, you have come up with your top three 
Ireland goals, Irish men's national team goals. Of the of the past 20 years, um, okay. Ireland are in something of a rut right now. So I picked three goals that we can all remember that were pretty special. And um, we can do number one in a minute if you'd like. Well, let's get to it. You want to do it now? No, no, no. Let's talk about the joyous news. Also, wait, who starts with one? You got to count down. You got to oh, build the drama. Me. Oh, excuse me. Build, build, build it up. But start with three. Get to one. Gotcha. Are you are you new here? Do you know how how these things work, JJ? Andrew, I'm 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 a broadcaster, but I'm not a broadcaster par excellence like you. Let's start with one, and then we'll work to the lesser. Uh, <laughs> That's not what I meant. Um, real quick, I, I know you want to start with the U.S. Men's National Team news. Quickly, though, I, I do want to touch on the Champions League action. There's nothing from today. to touch on. Nothing. Well, well, I mean, Real Madrid and Manchester City are, are both through to the quarterfinals. Those are two giants in the sport. I think that's something. I know. I just want to say, though, that in terms of the excitement that this stage of the Champions League usually brings us, today was a bit more, uh, a bit more mundane. Uh, yeah, that, that is certainly true. I agree with that. There was not drama today, uh, especially with, with Manchester City. That was over quickly. In the first 18 minutes, they were 2-0 up, 4-0 on aggregate. Mönchengladbach has not been good of late. Um, basically since their manager announced that he was leaving them at the end of the season, it's kind of all fallen apart for them. And that, that carried over to today's action as well. So they go out somewhat meekly for Manchester city. This is, I was thinking about something with respect to them, JJ, like as dominant as they've been, can they, can they end this season with you thinking even more highly of them than you may have in their 100 or 98 point seasons? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, I what would it so. take for that to happen? I I think winning the Premier League and winning the European Cup, the Champions League, would absolutely do that for me, and it would do it for. I think it would do it for Pep Guardiola as well. I mean, yeah, this you're is, right. If they win that double, if they win a league Europe double, I mean, they're kings of the Carabao forever now. That's just ingrained. Um, I I know. I I forget quadruples. If they do that double, which is just you know, incredibly difficult to do. I will absolutely think even more highly of what Pep Guardiola has done with this team. You're, you are right. I guess that was a dumb question. I guess the only reason I asked it is because maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like if this Manchester city team played those Manchester city teams, I think I would pick those ones to win. Maybe it's, maybe it's something in my head about like, I'm not so sure this, about this that. city squad, not, having the sort of firepower up front that those did when Aguero was like truly Aguero. Um, maybe I need to just get past that. I, I don't know. But for some reason, I, I don't know. That's just, that's just kind of how I feel. But don't forget those, those teams, as you described them, were found out to be, you know, brittle in Europe in terms of their defense and maybe even the way they went about the game, whereas there seems to be more resiliency in this Manchester City side so well, far. Well, let's find out because this Manchester City side has gotten to the quarterfinals, which is where those Manchester city sides got to as well. If this one can continue that European journey beyond where the past ones did, then yeah, certainly we can, we can then start to compare and maybe put this one above uh, those, but I don't think we can do that yet until we see where this one, where this one gets to. Well, let's put this, this game to bed. Anyway, Kevin De Bruyne with an absolute rocket, Andrew, what a goal that was. And um, then the boy, Phil Foden sides through, the Munchen-Gladbach defense before hitting a perfectly weighted pass to Gundogan, who scores because he always does right now. And that's it, 2-0. And that's the Champions League coverage. He's so disrespectful to the world's preeminent tournament. Unbelievable. 
there were some changes that were proposed. Uh, when was it? Was it last week, JJ? Between this podcast and our last one about possible adjustments to the Champions League? Yes. Uh, stupid things. Um, <laughs> basically, a return to the idea. Not a return to the idea, but like um, something that would be as irksome and annoying and unnecessary as those of us who remember the second group stage from the early 2000s, which was just an abomination. And um, they're being proposed by people like Andrea Agnelli, um, who ultimately, fundamentally, at the end of this process of change, would like it to be a closed shop of Liverpool, Juventus, Manchester United, Paris Saint-Germain, and a few other select clubs in a Super League all on their own. And hilarity upon hilarity, oh. as everyone's debating uh, these changes and, and, and the changes and, and ideas that are being pushed by Agnelli, Juventus get knocked out on their behinds uh, from the Champions League by none other than, I wouldn't call them a minnow because they've got great history, but Porto of the Portuguese League. And it was just such beautiful. But this is on the heels of Juventus being knocked out by, who was it, Lyon? And then before that, Ajax? Yeah, it's Like teams that they would box out of the competition that they want to create continuously knock them out of this competition oh yeah i don't care if we've got juventus listeners uh, juventus supporting listeners on this podcast right now because i think even they can see that what they're trying to create is not ideal that was such a super game and all the elements of of schadenfreude came together in one game and the chef's kiss moment was the free kick which was a dribbling free kick along the ground which you can argue all you want about, about Shishesny. Should he have got there? I think he should have. But the fact that Ronaldo, this absolute $36 million overhead that they have that was brought to deliver the Champions League to Turin, spins around in the most cowardly fashion, practically before the ball or as the ball is being struck and being generous. And it goes right underneath him and into the back of the net. And that's the goal that sends them out hoisted on their own petard i believe is the term i just hate the idea of this competition being messed with why would you do i think it's just i think it's perfect the way it is i i honestly do i think it's the right balance between gigantic clubs and really good clubs of a lesser stature that can go up against those gigantic clubs i don't know i think it's just i think it's just right don't touch it just don't touch it Last week was was just right for people like Look me. Look at you. I, I I mean, this is a vindictive side that I've seen many, many times, but not in this way. I need caught offside nation to make me a crying Agnelli meme, please. Man, don't cross JJ. He will ruin you. I don't forget. So uh, should I take it to mean that you have nothing on Real Madrid Atalanta? No, uh, Atalanta were limp. They had a chance early on that would have really put the cat into the pigeon area the zone where all the pigeons are there's no cats allowed there but it didn't happen because sportiello decided that he would in classic fashion uh you know the great conundrum of our times should i just boot this down the field because there's nothing on or should i welly it straight to the attacker and he did and modric gets on it slides it into benzema and really from that point on it was good night delights for um for atalanta and that's it um, I'm not saying Real Madrid weren't good. They weren't that great. But, you know, if you're going to make a mistake like that against a team like Real Madrid in a knockout competition, they will um, they will bury you. Yep. 
And uh, that is exactly what they did. So Manchester City, Real Madrid, they move on to the next round, joining uh, Liverpool and Porto and PSG. Um, who am I forgetting? And uh, Dortmund. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So uh, I guess that's it for the Champions League today. Well, well I've decided weekend. that's it. <laughs> yeah. So then we'll go right to what we have more on. And that is back here in the United States. The uh, the news which broke yesterday morning-ish. Uh, and that is that Yunus Musa has committed his future to the U.S. This is great news. Uh, I know that there was a little bit of nervousness in some of the weeks leading up about how this was going to go. Um, but in the end, he does commit to the U.S. And, and I was reading something that I think is important to point out. Uh, because let, let's just say we don't look, we don't know. We all, we all have our sensibilities and what we think about Yunus Musa from what we've seen from him so far, whether it's being an impact player at such a young age for a prominent club in La Liga in Valencia or the, you know, the cameo appearances, but important appearances that he's made for the U S men already in the senior team. You know, we have our ideas of what we think he can go on to be. So let's just say that that happens and he does wind up becoming a, a truly pivotal contributor to this team. There is a name that is important, I think, for people to remember as to why this was able to happen. Uh, and I want you all to remember the name Nico Estevez. This is from Jeff Carlisle, JJ. Uh, he says, uh, it, the recruiting process started soon after Musa signed with Valencia in the summer of 2019, when the Spanish club notified Nico Estevez, a U.S. men's assistant and former Valencia coach, that there was a player with a U.S. passport on the roster. Bearhalter soon reached out with a get-to-know-you phone call to make Musa aware of the U.S. team's interest. That call eventually opened the door for a meeting with the player's family to discuss the U.S. program in more depth. Like most recruiting battles, relationships played a key role, and the bond between Musa and Estevez took on immense importance. Musa says that from the moment the U.S. first made contact, he and Estevez spoke at least once every two weeks. Bearhalter added that there were times when his assistant and the player spoke as often as every other day. Round of applause, everybody, to Nico Estevez, because who knows, this may very well not have happened had it not been for him getting that phone call early on because of the connections he had at Valencia and for his persistence throughout. So if this player goes on to become the player that we hope and think he can be, Nico Estevez, we will not forget your name. I think we should always um, remember somebody like Nico Estevez. I think not to downplay his role in this, I think timing's important too. So... Imagine this is a few years earlier, four or five years earlier, and we have a player like Musa coming through, but he's coming into the Michael Bradley era team. Okay? okay. Now, there's, it's less likely for me that he wants to declare for the U.S. men's national team if he comes into that squad. Not because, you know, not just simply because of playing, but if he looks at the other people around him, the Serginio Dess, the Weston McKinney's, like we talked about how he probably comes into that side and thinks these guys are fun. These guys are my age. They're good players at a high level. I, I'd like to play on this team. I think that's a crucial, crucial thing too. I think there's also an element of timing in this on another way. Um, declaring for England, what would that do for him right now? He's not an established starter. In fact, if anything, he's a bench player now at Valencia in, in over certainly over the last few months. So, what would declaring for England do for him, even though he, he has more English ties, let's say time spent in a nation, England has been one of his, I mean, he, he has huge connections there. But 
he's not getting into that team. He's not getting into that midfield, that squad. It's it's not happening. Um, I can guarantee you, depending on injuries, obviously form and, and, and that everything goes okay in his career, but putting him on the path he's right now, um, he can expect to have 50 caps by the time he's 22 or 23 and have played in a World Cup imminently, like within the next 18 months. We think. We think, please God. But that's the point. That is a huge, a huge, huge carrot for any young player. And um, and I go back to what I said originally. He would feel a part. You just have to look at these young guys that this, this U.S. men's national team is young. It's youthful. It's got that vibe. And as an 18-year-old, why would you not be attracted by that? It's also America. Never underestimate the cultural pull of America and the coolness of representing America. And this is American team that could actually be pretty good. What you say about the timing and this group of players, it's so true. Uh, I think we we spoke about that in detail when his name was first announced as a player who was going to be invited into the squad that like it is so the right time for the for a recruitment process to take place with this group of players because the ages align where they are in their careers align coming up in prominent leagues with big clubs. Like there are just so many guys in that room that can relate. They're going through this together. Jeff Carlisle noted it as well. I have an excerpt here where he says, by the time Bearhalter invited Musa to a national team training camp in Wales last November, much of the groundwork had been laid, but there was still work to be done. Fortunately for the U S a wave of talented players have entered the program in, in recent years, including McKinney Adams, Reina and Dest. They made sure that Musa arrived to a warm embrace. That's huge. I mean, those players just like straight out of the gate, welcoming him into the fold. These guys are hanging out like it's I'm sure that the impact of that was enormous in Musa making this decision. Yeah, I had to be all all things going to to uh, to plan. Now, I I don't wish to put flies in ointment, um, but, you know, it was pointed out to me, well, there's new international eligibility rules, which means that a player can make less than three appear. It has to be no more than three appearances and they can make for a country before the age of 21 and they can change their mind. But if they play in a continental tournament, that ties them forever. So if they played in... It's, it'll be over this summer when the Gold Cup happens. Exactly. That'll be it. Yeah, that, that'll be over. So so this is a very... And, and I don't like even saying that, but it was put to me on Twitter. And um, That's fair to bring that up. Yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to question the kids, the kids' loyalties or the kids' commitments um, to the team. I mean, so, in his statement, he he pointed out how how special it is to play for the country of his birth. Uh, so you know that at least in his statement, that idea was not lost on him. Sure, and look, I'm someone that grew up having never set foot in the United States with a massive affinity to the United States. And none of my family were born in the United States. My my grandparents were naturalized citizens, hmm. but the, but I always looked to this country. I had a huge affinity. So people say, you know, it's a kind of a technicality. He was born there, but he never spent any time there. That's not how, it's not how identity works. So we've talked um, about that a lot, that like these things, it's hard for somebody who's not in that position to relate to it, like mm. to, to kind of feel an affinity for, uh, for, you know, a multitude of countries as feeling yeah. like they, as more, more than one place can be your home. Correct. Um, if you've never felt it, then it's probably not a relatable thing. But it, I believe it, that it exists. Oh, it, it absolutely exists. I'm I'm living I'm living it, and I I know other people who are too. And By the way, uh, it, it can exist on a smaller scale. Like I say, I can't relate, but like 
the affinity that I feel towards Philadelphia, where I grew up, mm. and the affinity where I feel towards New York, which I've lived in for the last uh, 15 years and, and gotten married and had two kids here. Like, I mean, they are two places that will forever be close to my heart, no matter how, where else I live in the rest of my life. So I've never, I've never heard a man in my life sell Queens to me quite like you did. I don't think anyone loves Queens more than you. So that's how it works. It's identity is um, it's complicated. It's personal and it's not always drawn along uh, nationalistic lines. So when these things happen, are we like everyone on Twitter? I follow all like the USMNT only accounts, the USMNT universe. Like I follow all those accounts. Of course you do. Instantly when this happens, you are just like swept away in a barrage of, okay, so here's my 11. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like everyone puts them out all at the same time. And it's great. And, and for the first time in a while, I would say most people's 11s look pretty similar. Yes, I would think so. Although you'd have to ask, I, I think at the top and the bottom of the Christmas tree is where you'd have the questions. We're not 100% sure who our starting center forward might be, mm-hmm. but it'll probably be a combination. Most are going to com- have a combination of three attacking players or maybe one one of which is a central striker. And I do think that it's not as clear cut in goalkeeper with the goalkeeper because... Really? Well, how much longer and what national team... Maybe actually... I mean, Ireland are about to face this issue too, but can you really have a long-term goalkeeper who doesn't play for his club, international goalkeeper? Well, let me just ask you then, if it's not Stefan, who is it? Well, that's that's a better question. I, I, don't, I don't think there's anyone as good as him. I mean, we talk about Stefan, Horvath. Um, you know, is Guzan still in that picture? I mean, he has been. Uh, personally, I, I view it as Stefan's job. I, I, yeah, but I do think it come, it, there does come a point, Andrew, where you're like, well, this guy's not playing and say Horvath is, you know. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Can I, um, can I pour cold water on, on this for a second? <sighs> Must you? Okay, can, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it in the cowardly way. Um, Matthew Doyle. <laughs> Matt Doyle, 76 on Twitter. You know him as the MLS guy, a very good uh, American soccer man, I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Um, let me just read a selection of tweets here. And I do I do think there, there's a lot of truth in them. Um, I'm excited we got Musa too, but he lost his starting spot for the 12th best team in La Liga two months ago. Our other younger, our other young super prospect, Gio Reyna, had two goals, three assists in his first six games and has two goals and one assist in his subsequent 27. Our star has basically been dropped from Chelsea's rotation. Our best young centre-back prospect, prospect Richards, was not in Bayern's uh, plans and was loaned out. Our second best young centre-back prospect has been dropped by Genk, McKenzie. The guy most considered to be our top left-back top left plays for a relegation-bound EPL side, Robinson, and has mostly lost his starting spot over the last month. Our best right-back, Dest, has struggled badly defensively whenever he faces elite competition. Our best defensive mid plays right back for his club. Our number one keeper is a backup. We have more talent than ever before. This is true. But we as a fan base should have perspective. That is sobering. It is also entirely fair. Yep. 
Um, but, we, but we've, me and you have been consistent. We've never, ever said, we, we've said our formula is get your best players, most talented players in the best possible club they can be in playing regular minutes. We've always said that. Right. But he's saying many of these guys are not playing regular minutes right they, now. They, they are not. That is true. But there's also not a World Cup this summer. You know, They're and also- like we can talk about Musa losing his spot at Valencia fair he's also 18 right there's no nobody... reina is is a boy there's nobody in that list 24 or 25 right so that makes it that other than stefan you know other than stefan but but again his so those those points are certainly more than fair uh i don't think he's saying anything that's that's out of line um it doesn't necessarily change the way i feel about the, the promise that this group has shown nor me nor me. And I mean, by the way, we can have a very effective center back if he's playing at Hoffenheim as opposed to Bayern Munich, you know? It, like, right. like there will be a point where these players level off and find exactly where they need to be. And that may not be in a top six team. It might be. It might be in the sixth team of a top six team in one of the top five leagues. Right. And, and there's also things that were left out in that. You know, John Brooks has been excellent uh, so far this season. Um, Weston McKinney just had his loan turned into a permanent move at Juventus. And so far, I would say that has been a, a, a roaring success, uh, McKinney playing for that club. Um, you know, like we've talked about with Christian Pulisic. Yes, it seems like he's lost his place right now. Chelsea did start over the weekend. We'll see what the future holds for him. But like we believe it's not out of a lack of talent. It's out of him just needing to get his form back from persistent injuries, which is also something to be scared of moving forward. If an injury strikes at the wrong time, it could be disastrous. So by the way, Brian, Brian Reynolds makes his Serie A debut for Roma at the weekend. So, okay. We didn't mention him either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there is still like, eh, there is still a lot of reason to be excited, man. That was such a, that was such a downer. By the way, I mean, is there any bigger cheerleader for us soccer than Matthew Doyle? I don't know. I, I guess not. I, I, I think he's, I, mean, a, I think he's a fairly cold and, and uh, I think he's, he's a great follow on Twitter. He's very rational. Yeah, but he's and like I rational. said there, everything he said there was very rational. It just happened to all kind of be a bummer to hear. Um, well, it's usually me but, delivering this this kind of commentary, so I'm glad I can pass the buck on that one. But no, it was it was all very fair, and we'll keep an eye on all those things. I, I still feel hopeful and good about each of those players that were mentioned. But sure. yeah, yeah, we're. Uh, I guess, like he's. What was it? The last thing you said there. It's important to keep perspective. Uh, uh, this is, uh, we have more talent than ever before. This is true, but we as a fan base should have perspective here. Well, th- that is true, and I like. Look, if you were somebody who's saying, oh, my God, we're going to win the World Cup, then, yeah, you've lost perspective. All right. But like, I think we can win it. So there. Oh, uh, all right. We can. T- let's let's revisit that, I think, in 2026. I don't okay. think that the, I don't think we're there yet when we're talking about guys who are largely 22 and under. I think that would be for a nation that has not sniffed that sort of success in its right. history. Um, but I, I still feel good about this team and I feel good about Moose's decision. Feel good about a lot of things, JJ. <laughs> oh, it is indeed a bright future. Uh, let's see. We're going to take a break in a minute. But before we do that, do you do you yeah. want to uh, pay off this this tease of yours of the top three Ireland men's national team goals since the year 2000? Yeah, I want to do, I want to do that. But I have one more thing. Um, so 
there was an interview with new Inter-Miami centre-back Ryan Shawcross in the Telegraph today. Mm. And I just want to put Andrew Gundling in the position of a MLS PR person. I want you to make a list of three things that you want your new player from England not to say or refer to in their interview from Miami with the Telegraph. What is what? What would be those? What would be the three things you would like MLS related, not for Ryan Shawcross to have said today? Uh, let's see. Well, I would not like to hear him say I had no other options. Okay. Um, I would not like to hear the words uh, retirement community. Wasn't that what Ashley Cole said? Ding, 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 okay. ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Ryan Shawcross, exclusive interview. I was heading for retirement <laughs> until Miami came out of the blue. Oh, Ryan. That's, I mean, it's got to be in the top three. Don't say that. By the way, I've, I've exclusive audio of um, Ryan Shawcross's agent hmm. explaining to him what MLS is, which could cause the f- confusion. Oh. It's a retirement community. You are active seniors your own age. You go places, you do You're things. <laughs> it's a retirement community. Oh man, the Sopranos. Those are like the buzzwords that trigger MLS fans yep. in, in a horrible way. Right. Okay, let's go on to uh, some St. Patrick's Day content. Andrew, the top three goals of all time, I will take your suggestion and begin at three. Uh, not of all time, of the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Robbie Brady's winner against Italy from Euro 2016, a must-win game for the Irish. Could they beat the Azori? Yes, they could. Well, is that it? Have we seen the moment pass when it might have happened? Let's hope not. Houlihan. Inviting his there! Robbie Brady brings us all to our feet in Lille. No more than Ireland deserve. A fantastic goal to put Ireland in front. All right, so that was number three, and we'll get to uh, two and one later. That's right. Keep you on the edge of your Irish seats. All right, well, I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break. When we come back from that, we'll do a little bit of Premier League. We'll get to uh, JJ's number two and number one in honor of St. Patrick's Day. We'll get a, a mailbag in there. Still lots to do. Don't go anywhere. Back now, caught offside on a, a beautiful Tuesday evening. Spring is approaching. Daylight savings is upon us. Things are changing. I can feel it. I can feel it, JJ. Uh, let's see. EPL. Things are not changing a ton at the top of the EPL table. Manchester City, um, I guess, bouncing back from kind of a whatever game the week before. And uh, the, I mean, if we're looking at this, uh, you know, we're talking about is there a title race? We've said for weeks now there's not. I don't have really a ton to say about the top of the table. I was kind of just like going through is there a title race? Is there a race for top four? Is there, um, a relegation battle in terms of the title race. I'm going to just check that box and say, uh, uh-uh, not really. Right. Yeah. We've, we've covered that for weeks no, now. No. Um, race for top four. However, yes, there is. Um, now I guess the question is really how many teams are a part of it. Um, we can go through this team by team. Uh, I mean, I have a few teams listed here. Uh, yeah, let's do it that way. So Leicester right now, Leicester City have played 29 games, are on 56 points. They got that was a huge win for them um, over the weekend. Five nil. Ian Acho with the hat trick. 
um, a player who has, since he arrived at Leicester, I think that there was really hope that he could be something special for them. And it just, it has not materialized. And I'm not saying that this performance changes everything, but it helps, especially when it's a team that's dealing with injuries that kind of was in need of a win. And um, that was huge for him to put in a hat trick like that and give Leicester a little bit of breathing space. Uh, Like I said, 56 points. That was, that was important. I mean, we slammed Leicester last season for kind of falling apart a bit amongst the injuries they had, but I think you got to give them credit. They've had injuries all season and they've been able to absorb them. And we kind of thought that they would begin to struggle a lot more than they have. And that was a huge win. Great, great meaty stat, Andrew. A a stat that you should really pour gravy over. It's so meaty. Mm. Since Brendan Rodgers' first Premier League game in charge of Leicester, only Manchester City on 57 and Liverpool on 53 have won more matches in the competition than Leicester with 40. In terms of managers in this league, like whose stock is higher than his, would you say? Right now, not many. Pep? Pep. Pep's is higher. Um, Pep's is higher, I would think. Uh, like, the, and again, the question is not who's a better manager, but just like whose stock is higher. Right? Like, like it's, what about Klopp? Um, like it feels like Klopp is Klopp's, on, on Klopp's, the slide. Klopp's stock is still higher, I would think. Okay. Yeah, he has so much goodwill in the bank. Um, and pe- and people like me, there there are still Roger skeptics mm-hmm. um, out there. So, but that 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 stat blew me away. I mean, that's that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot for, for Leicester to be in the in the top three teams. I mean, we knew City and Liverpool are where they are, but for Leicester to be the next team with the most amount of wins since Rodgers came in, is it's a testament to the, the good job that he's done. And, of course, Sheffield United on the other side of that defeat, they're beginning the post-Chris Wilder era with a heavy defeat. And you wonder what's in store for them. Yeah, they didn't get that new manager bounce, did they? They're, they're not likely to, Andrew. And um, I would be concerned for them because... I mean, Wilder brought them all the way from League One, gave them a complete new style of play and way of implementing their football. And now they've got to start again. And it, it's, going to be, it's going to be so tricky. Yeah, uh, I felt bad for him. He was my manager of the season last year for what he did for, uh, to Sheffield United last season in an incredible performance that nobody saw coming. Yeah, I, so. think, I think his, uh, his signings have, have let him down massively, particularly signing Ray and Brewster for what he did and getting such a poor return from his strikers, that has ultimately cost him his job. Um, Let's see. Up next, JJ in fourth, currently Chelsea. They've played 29 games. They're on 51 points. I don't know that I would have expected a nil-nil against Leeds, but there you go. Havertz could have scored one, more than one. Uh, Leeds could have had a goal or more than one, uh, only for a brilliant performance from Mendy in goal. So, yeah, it was. I actually enjoyed that game. It was a good game. It was the kind of game that I think had there been a crowd there, it would have really been one of those nil-nils that you look back on and thought, yeah, I enjoyed that. We mentioned it a little bit before, but uh, Christian Pulisic back in the 11 for Chelsea wasn't an amazing performance. I don't know no. that it was a bad performance. He was he was kind of out there. He Well, he was very much out there. He was yeah. in a wider role uh, with more defensive duties, not quite a wing back, but not far off it. Um, he certainly worked very hard. He created a couple of chances. He defended well, including a crucial block shot in his own penalty box. But I, overall, I'm not sure that role suits him. And He's also he, playing on the right when it seemed to have been more had been more successful for Chelsea on the left. Um, 
he didn't seem to enjoy being taken off when he was taken off. It was more of a battle in the second half. He certainly had more offensive success in the first half. Um, I think, though, uh, Thomas Tuchel, in his pre-match comments, not his post-match, he really summed up the Pulisic situation pretty clearly and succinctly. If he starts tomorrow and if he does brilliantly and if he starts again against uh, Atletico and if he uh, scores again two goals and if he's the, maybe he's the captain next year <laughs> of our squad, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I know what you what you mean, but this is uh, this is too far ahead. We have so many games, and he is in my plans, and he is an important player, and he has the potential. He has the potential to be decisive for us from the bench and as a beginner. Um, is it necessary that he can prove it? Yes. So this is my job, and his job is to be ready, to be ready like everybody else. And when there comes the moment, uh, you have to be ready. This is this is what you sign up for in a, in a club like Chelsea. There's no difference between Christian and anybody else. Um, first of all, Thomas Tuchel laughed too long and too hard at the suggestion of him being captain next season for my liking. Um, but look, it's basically come in, do your stuff, or you don't start. Like he's, he's really been very, he's saying, we've got a lot of games. I need delivery from every moment. Um, he's still in a part of the team, but more likely than the vibe I got from that. And from what he said is that he's going to be coming off the bench, Andrew, more yeah. likely than not. Yeah. I mean, he, he essentially says that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just don't have a great feeling about this. We always said that this was going to be a potential issue when Pulisic when he went to Chelsea that yeah. just, you know, this is, you know, even if it's not necessarily deep by Chelsea standards, they're, they're deeper this year, obviously than they were before much. Uh, and like in squads like that, if you get hurt, if your performance dips, this is always on the table as a possibility. Uh, so he's got to fight his way back in with the limited opportunities that he gets. I don't know how else to say it. There is no other way to say it really. Uh, let's see, West Ham, JJ, just outside of the top four right now, 28 games, so they do have a game at hand, 48 points. Tough loss to Manchester United. Um, that was that was never going to be an easy one for them. Starting to deal with a few more injuries here and there. They did not play very well in this game, up front at least. They defended very well and kept themselves mm. in it, but uh, their chances kind of felt like they were few and far between. Uh, do you, do you envision a slide? I feel like there's this expectation that what West Ham have done this season, it can't, it, it can't persist. It can't be sustained. I don't know that I agree with that. I, I'm wondering what you think. Um, apparently there was a lot of criticism from Moyes from West Ham fans after this game that he, that he didn't go for it. Um, uh, Jacob Steinberg who covers them kind of really summed up, you know, the position that Moyes and West Ham are in now. It seems to me that some West Ham fans will never trust Moyes, boring, negative, dinosaur, and will always be waiting to pile in. They're not paying attention. Moyes is a tiny squad and has lost important players to injury. It's not normal to be fifth with 48 points when you have two central midfielders and one striker who has dodgy hamstrings. He's maximizing his squad. They fall short at times. I mean, Mark Noble was involved. Yeah. You know, that wouldn't be ideal. They're also in a run of games where they've played in the last few weeks. They've played, I say weeks, probably in the last fortnight with the way the games are coming. They've had Tottenham, Leeds, City, United, and they have Arsenal next. Like that is, 
that is an extremely tough run for them. And if they can get out of it, like, look, they've all, they've beaten Spurs. They beat Leeds. They put in a great performance against City, possible performance against United. I mean, they've got six points coming out of that run of games. Possibly, you'd fancy they could do a job against Arsenal too. So, yeah, I think expectations are... Yeah, they're just they're out of whack. They're they're out of skew for for. I and mean, look, in terms of the way they play, uh, you know, West Ham fans wanting them to be more attack minded. I get that they do have you know they have players who are strong in attack, but let let's just look at like I like Mikel Antonio. I do. I think he's he's a good player, mm. definitely a Premier League caliber striker in my opinion. But we're talking about West Ham going up against some of these teams around them for a top four spot, like. Just look at that position on their competition. Like Leicester has Vardy, you know, Chelsea for whatever underachievement there's been, there is still attacking prowess there between Werner, Giroud off the bench, Havertz starting to come alive. Think, just think of the money that Chelsea has poured into the front of that team. Um, behind them right now on the table, Liverpool. What else do we have to say about Salah, Mane, Jota, Firmino right now off the bench? Like, you know, this it's hard. It's not going to be easy for West Ham to kind of like keep up with some of those teams around them in terms of what they have to offer in attack. It's, I don't know. I think getting on Moyes for that feels a little, a little harsh to me. It was a one nil defeat against a team that are better than, than West Ham with players missing. And also the idea that you go out and have a go at United, that's the opposite of what you do. That's what United want you to do. So they can play on, on, on the counter and pick you off. What you do against United is you sit in, make them play. They don't like that. I mean, crazy but by the way whether it's irrational or not i will say it's it's a good sign for a club like west ham that you can lose one nil to manchester united who's second in the table and be you know be this frustrated with that like that we're not far removed from when like a one nil defeat to manchester united was like okay good good job boys yeah speaks to to something positive happening there yeah Um, it's a reactionary fan base though yeah. Uh, and then sixth right now is Liverpool, 29 games, 46 points. So two off of West Ham and five off of Chelsea for fourth. They stay in the fight. That was three important points against Wolves with the, the former Wolves men getting the goal. Yeah, for sure. And that was a, it was a really good move um, that got that goal. Um, something that we haven't seen as regularly from Liverpool in the past, but certainly over the last two games we have in Europe and against Wolves. Uh, not a perfect performance. Wolves could have got a point out of it quite easily um terrible injury to Rui Patricio at the end of the game which again if the flag goes up the play is dead but because of the directive not to put your flag up I mean Salah is I think he's I can't quite remember but I think he's a a distance offside and uh, Cody slams into Patricio but he's okay which is which is really good news um but yeah uh, as Robbie Earl described it a dirty three points and I think that's a fair fair kind of way to some uh surmise this game and uh three, and they'll take it right now oh absolutely three points that's all all we wanted uh behind liverpool is their merseyside rivals everton who have a, a game at hand 28 games also 46 points this is like ever everton are in this like this is this is doable there have been years mm-hmm. for them of their fan base wanting to be a part of this top four battle thinking that they are of a stature where they should be qualifying for champions leagues at least every once in a while and then like this is not the time to be losing to burnley i'm yeah, sorry i agree with you but there was a lot i this is going to be a lot of i told you so but i did say after the liverpool win that this is not an indicative of of a team that's going to kick on 
you know, Everton are, I mean, I, I read something and I couldn't believe it. Or maybe I could believe it. Outside of the top, the bottom five clubs, Everton have lost more home games. They're the, they're the team that's lost the most amount of home games, apart from those who are in a relegation battle. So maybe I can believe it. Um, I, I think the problem for Everton is you look at that midfield that played at the weekend, Andrew. Allen in midfield, okay, he's very much a holding midfielder. I mean, I think he's one of those that you'd wonder, will they move on mm. at, at some point? I'm not After one year? Yeah, I'm not thoroughly convinced about him there that okay. he gives you he gives you enough in that position. He screens the back four, okay, but I'm I'm not convinced anyway. And then you had Tom Davies, okay, and and Andre Gomez beside him. That's just not a midfield that I think is going to pick apart a team that's going to sit in a low block. And when Everton are expected to attack and be creative, you've got to have somebody like um they're their Colombian genius. Well, that's the problem. I, I said it before the season when we did our Everton preview. Hamas Rodriguez, it's a great signing for that club for He's him to go play. there. But like we looked at what he had given his teams in previous seasons leading up to this season. He doesn't, he does not contribute full seasons. He no. can't his body. I feel bad. He's he is a tremendous player and his his creativity uh is exactly what Everton need. But we we kind of called this one that it was always going to be a struggle for him to be a key contributor to this team from game one all the way through May. And we're seeing it. And they're hurt by his absence. There's no question about that. Yeah. Um, if Has ever a hard they, time staying healthy. It's not good. Yeah. If ever they needed someone creative in that side, I mean, that, that team just screams, not going to do it. Uh, and then Tottenham. Uh, also a game at hand on um, Chelsea, who are in fourth. Spurs still in it, 45 points. Uh, so they are six back, like I said, with that game in hand. So if they win that game in hand, they're two back. It's 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 still within reason. I feel like a lot of Tottenham fans are in a place right now where they're starting to think Europa League is probably the, the best way to make Champions League qualification happen. I would say I'm not there just yet, uh, but it's but it's close. It's getting It's getting late early. As uh, as has been said, well, not um, to hoist you uh, before, and I know you want to get into this, and I will give you the floor, Senator, but not to hoist you up upon your own words. But you did say this game would be a good measure of where Tottenham are at right now. Did I say that? I actually you don't did, remember you, saying that. In the midst of those of the the halcyon days of wins against Crystal Palace and wins against Burnley, in the midst of that euphoria, that that early spring of Tottenham. You said, I'm not going to say anything. Arsenal, I think, will be a better metric. No, no, no. I said that in relation to the, the bail back is <laughs> the bail backometer is what I was talking about when I said that. I said Bale's been great in these games against Palace and Burnley, but before I, I said he's a nine, I can't make him a 10 until I see him do it against elevated competition. Oh, that was Lord. what I said. Oh, good Lord, then. Good Lord, indeed. Yeah, so the, that's why listen, the bail backometer has plummeted. Listen, before I give you my uh, considered opinions on the Lily Whites of North London, uh, uh-huh. I would like to give uh, the chair recognizes the senator from Philadelphia. You well, are. I've been going back and forth on this. First off, let me say this about the North London Derby. Um, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to make this about Spurs. Newsflash: It's probably going to be. I'm going to um, make it about Arsenal later, so don't switch well, off. Well, I okay. was going to say something about Arsenal first because I do want to give them credit. Really good performance for them. They found a weakness on Tottenham's right side with Bale and Doherty. 
and they exploited the hell out of it. I mean, did they ever? Emil Smith Rowe looks like a really, really good young player. Um, I mean, and he could have scored too. Also hit the crossbar in this game. Uh, Bukayo Saka also looks like a really good young player. Like there is, there's some reason for Arsenal fans to feel good in a year that has not given them a whole lot of that. There, there's some hope with some of these young players where I think that they can, they can feel good about that moving forward. And I also, if I were an Arsenal fan, I also would feel good for this to all happen on a day like that with Aubameyang and his situation happening. And I do want to cover that also before we get into Tottenham, because um, for Aubameyang to do that uh, and get benched for an, for arguably their most important game of the season, Mm. that is a horrible look. That is just a terrible look. You are the team captain of this team. And after a series of warnings, you still show up late on the day of the North London Derby and you yeah. leave Mikel Arteta no choice. He has no choice, but to do that, it is a team of young players. All right. Like they are set. They are in the process of, of setting precedents and setting examples. And so for the highest paid player, the guy who just got this new contract, who's essentially the face of this team, he's the most high profile player on this team, probably the most accomplished player on this team. Like for him to be the one to show up late on this day, you can't play. I'm sorry. Like it just, it's a terrible look. You just got your contract. You just got paid and, and you're showing up late, like good on Mikel Arteta for not succumbing to whatever forces may have wanted him to play a bombing on a day like that against uh, Tottenham. And in the end, Arteta was rewarded for it as, as Arsenal got the win. That was, I don't know. That's the sort of stuff where, look, I'm not in that, that locker room with Arsenal. I don't know how Aubameyang is perceived. He seems like a good dude. Um, you know, I'm sure he's well-liked on that team, but like, that's an easy way when you get your contract and you get all that money and then you do stuff like that when you're the captain, that's an easy way, I would think, to alienate yourself from your team. Andrew, I, I think he had no choice. And I thought Arteta hang, handled it well. The fact that the reasons for his benching were leaked is not great. I think, uh, I think if you can just get out there, there was a disciplinary issue and leave it at that. Um, but then again, maybe they thought we don't want to leave it open to speculation. So let's right. be clear. It's, it's almost better to know that he was like, not that it's good, but oh, okay. He's, he was only late on the list you know? of transgressions being <laughs> right. late is not high up there. So it was probably better. I actually think he handled it pretty well. And um, it wasn't good to see your captain sulking on the bench, clearly unhappy. But when you come out the right side of the victory, uh, I think Arteta has got away with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really, really good win for Arsenal. One to feel good about. Now, look for all the good that, that they had and for all the good that their performance was in this game, they were still a little fortunate. I mean, their first goal was on a, a pretty important deflection. The second was on a penalty that while it is a penalty, uh, it's kind of one of those penalties where like, if I were an Arsenal fan, I would sort of look at my buddy after it was awarded and be like, well, that was fortunate. I mean, like, it's clearly at the chance is gone. Lacazette has completely scuffed it. Like it, it's a yeah, poor it's a, attempt from a, your striker, but, but Andrew, like it's a, it is a penalty. But Andrew, so if Lacazette doesn't scuff it, if he makes contact, hits the target and the keeper saves it with the way Sanchez dived, it's a penalty anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah. Whatever way you spin it, it's an absolute penalty. Um, and I mean, Lacazette was, was, was fairly blunt up front. That was something Arsenal got away with that. They didn't really have any killer edge, but, um, you know, I'm. You're going to speak to this now in a second, but Tottenham were appalling. <laughs> yes, a disgrace. Yeah, um, 
Yeah. And by the way, I don't want to make it sound like Arsenal were lucky. I know Smith Rowe hit the crossbar. Cedric hit the woodwork. Like they're deserving winners, hundred percent deserving winners. Not even going to try to sugarcoat it in any way, shape or form, which brings me to Spurs. I'll start with the good Lamella's goal. (laughs) Just like uh, stand up in your room by yourself, watching it and be like, what did I just see? Probably my goal of the season. I mean, uh, we may go years Mm. without seeing one of those again. So I'll give you two better goals than that. All right. Because people are saying it's one of the greatest goals they've ever seen. And I do think it's amazing, but I think there's two better ones. Gianfranco Zola's back heel flick in midair at the near post against Norwich at Stamford Bridge. Okay. And Thierry Henry's back heel against Charlton at Highbury. Fair enough. The fact that we're dancing in that company is says amazing. everything yep, that yep, I think yep. you need to know. Uh, so just like, wow. One thing I wanted to ask you, this mm. is not a criticism of NBC. Um, this is a criticism of every soccer broadcast I've ever seen. I give Arlo White a lot of credit. He's not a Tottenham fan. He probably was not watching the Tottenham Europa League match against Asteris back in 2013-14. And yet Arlo White, after Lamella completed the Rabona and scored that goal, he knew in the back of his mind, Lamella has done that before. And, he, yes. and sure enough, he said Europa League, he couldn't quite remember the opponent. By the way, neither could I. Until I tweeted it out and I couldn't remember. Right. So like good for Arlo White to be on that. One thing, though, that I oftentimes think about in soccer broadcasts from Europe compared to like an NBA broadcast here, like they don't do a whole lot of showing you clips from like other other games and other moments within the broadcast. Now I know like within there's within, not within stoppages, the there's not like timeouts. Yeah, so no, it's we're not, not doing easy that. to do it. But like they should if there's enough time to show a replay, which obviously you see replays nonstop throughout a soccer game, like there's enough time where somebody probably should have pulled up that Lamella Rabona that he's done before. But you, now maybe you, there's like rights yes, issues. Yes, that's that's the reason. That's straight away the reason. But you don't even but let's say Lamella had done it against Leicester in a Premier League match, you probably still wouldn't have seen it. I feel like you don't see highlights within a game from other games in a soccer broadcast. Yeah, not a road I want to go down. I'm going to be a complete dinosaur about this one. I'm going to be full David Moyes. The game is only for the game at hand. It is not for other games. All right, message received. Not so much that, because we'll be getting flashback memories then. It's it's not about that idea. That idea in in and of itself is fine. It opens the door, Andrew, to further ideas. Like, this magic moment is brought to you by Hallmark. Hallmark, your favorite cards. Adverts in the middle of the game. Not having it. It's bad enough I have to see progressive in the top left-hand corner. Really? You're bothered by the progressive ad in the top Actually, corner I'm, of the screen? I'm not. But... but you don't care about, like, sponsors being all over teams' jerseys. Like, no one cares about that. It's the compromise we've made. Uh, also, one other good thing I wanted to mention for Tottenham. Lucas Mora was excellent. A lot of Tottenham fans are hard on him. Um, I don't always understand why. I don't know who they think he is. Like, no, he's not messy. Like, but... And he uh, shouldered... He was, he, he was the only player trying, it looked like, uh, well, for much of this game. So well, good Well, when, when, when your attack is basically this, hey, Lucas, dribble at seven players and get a foul. Be creative for us. When that, when that compromises the, the, the entirety of your attack for a derby game, then yeah, he deserves so much credit. Uh, as for the bad, I mentioned the bail backometer. It's reverted back down to like a five. He was completely anonymous and refused to help. Uh, poor Matt Doherty, who was also bad on the day as uh, Kieran Tierney just owned him on that yep. side. I mean, 
he's just not, he hasn't, whatever they thought they were getting with Darty, he has not quite lived up to that. It's been, it has been a, a bit of a he's rough a, go for him. Well, wait, again, um, he, he was a wing back at Wolves and now you're asking him to be a full back with no help. It's going to be tough. Hoiberg was the only one that shuttled across to help him in that game and putting him on the same side as Gareth Bale. Good yeah. Lord. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a problem. Davidson Sanchez committed the penalty. Um, couldn't really get strong enough contact on Kane's rebound off the post. Uh, which would have been the equalizer. And then Lamella, who scored, he goes and scores the goal of the year. And yet in the most Eric Lamella thing ever, still somehow finds a way to make the day a net negative for him. Go figure. It was just like such a thing that would happen. And as soon as he did, I was like, well, he's gone. Like, it was so obvious. There's no arguing it. It's just like, peace out. Bye, Eric. Uh, the sun injury, obviously that was bad 11 minutes in. Mm. Um, Lamella was his sub and scored the goal. So it was kind of okay on the day. It seems like that injury is actually not bad. I think Sun is in the South Korean squad at the international break, which I was surprised to see. With a hamstring. Uh, there's talk that he may not even miss Tottenham's next match against Newcastle. We'll oh. see. It's a hamstring. I'd be worried. I don't like um, that. And then and then there's this, JJ. Um, Mourinho. Um, look, he was, he was critical of certain players seemingly not being up for this. Uh, I'm assuming he was talking about Bale. But, you know, ultimately some of that's on him too. You mentioned about... Uh, Matt Doherty and Bale being on his side on well, that he, side and Bale not being a player who's going to help. Now, look, that's a thing where I'll blame everyone for that. Like I'll blame Doherty for just like, he, he was just bad by any standard. His one V one defending was poor. Yeah. Um, I'll blame Bale because, okay, maybe that's not your strong suit, but understand the situation, Gareth, like, like this guy is getting killed back there. You're just going to stand there and continuously watch this. Like you, I know it's not your strongest attribute as a player, but you, you can try. There was none of that from him. Uh, and, you know, and you blame Mourinho too for that. Certainly. Mm. Um, now I don't know what Tottenham could have done if they play a back five, maybe Mourinho gets killed for that, for being too negative. Um, if he doesn't play bail, uh, be, you know, because he wants to play someone like Bergwijn who will give uh, Doherty more help. Uh, he may get killed for not playing Bale when Bale's in great form. So I don't know what the answer is, but whatever it was that they did, ain't it. So he's got to take blame for it too. Well, and, if you want, if you want a, 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 a sorry to cut across you, if yeah, you want no, an no, energetic no. performance or someone that like, we'll get onto the other bizarre thing that I just can't get my head around that this idea that, that Jose Mourinho is desperately wanting his team to press and close down opposition when there's no bloody evidence of it whatsoever. But if you want that genuinely, if it's horses for courses, you pick Bergwijn or you even start Lamella instead of Bale. Andrew, he's too fragile. He's, he cannot do it. But and if, they, if they lose that game and Bale doesn't start and he's, arguably been their most informed player over the last two to three weeks. What, what would we be saying right now? Andrew, you're guaranteed, you're like, guaranteed, what would we be saying? you're guaranteed to lose it. If you leave Matt Doherty isolated. And if you don't have either Ndombele or Hoiberg, like I said, sliding across to help, or you have Garrett Bale coming back or, or, or Bergwijn or whoever, a, a, another, it doesn't matter. You have to get someone to do it. And, and um, they never like Arsenal did it 10 times in the first half. That switch out to um, from not Emil Smith Rowe out to Tierney to just yeah destroy Dart. I know it became hard to watch. Okay, which brings me to Mourinho, JJ. Oh. Um, I wasn't. I don't want to do what I'm about to do here, uh, and I, I feel like I've done this before. Um, but like you know, I see the tweets after games, kind of mocking me 
after a performance like this for kind of for being a, a quote unquote Mourinho guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I see those, I see the tweets. There was one tweet, I think somebody was like begging you to save me from myself and get me to wake up on Mourinho. Oh like, yeah, like to, to stage an intervention. Right. Um, most weeks I see those, I kind of ignore them. Oftentimes I don't even check my mentions, especially after Tottenham losses, because what's the point? But like I did check them this time and I saw them and usually I don't care, but I don't know why this, I was, I texted you after the game, like I of North London Derby losses, as a Tottenham fan, I don't know why that was one of the ones that angered me the most, but this one just did like, I can't, I don't know why certain losses resonate differently than others, but this one just like, I was so angry after that game. Um, and so like, I saw the tweets and I got triggered Oh boy! and, and I got triggered once before this uh, earlier this season. I think it was after the Leicester game, you and I were arguing about Mourinho and you and, screamed and, like, at me and I got really mad yeah. about um, hurtful things you were saying about <laughs> my beloved Josie. Um, <laughs> But like, so for whatever reason, this just happens from time to time. But this kind of triggered me in a different way, because like in my mind, and I'm sure you'll disagree and that's fine. But like in my mind, I feel genuinely like I'm being fair with respect to Mourinho. Like for a lot of people, I think that means that you're a Mourinho guy. For instance, you may like my, my day job is the producer of the Michael K show on, on ESPN in New York. And one of the jokes that the show's co-host Don LaGreca makes about Michael is that if you're not consistently praising him, you're disrespecting him. <laughs> and like, I feel like Mourinho in dealing with him as a fan, it's kind of the opposite. Like if you're not consistently denigrating him, you love him. For example, um, I said, I liked the way he came across on all or nothing. Uh, and I said that his style helped produce some good results, Manchester city, Manchester United, Southampton, Arsenal, etc. Tottenham, by the way, had won three straight coming into this past weekend against Arsenal. So now like, that's it. I love him from here on out. People are only going to hear what they want to hear. But in reality, like I've spoken about him as I would any manager, at least that's how I feel about it. When good things happen, I point them out. When bad things happen, I point them out. And I have receipts like this one from our podcast back on December 15th, after Spurs gave up a late goal to Crystal Palace, they settled for that one, one draw. I think it was Jeffrey Schlupp. Um, who scored late. And I spoke about Tottenham not going for that second goal and how frustrating that is. My problem with it in this situation, like we saw against Newcastle earlier in the season, in a one-goal game, it's risky because you're always just one bad handball decision away from an equalizer. You're always just one goalkeeper error away from an equalizer. And there was this podcast on... Uh, when was it after the Brighton game, the awful showing against Brighton. And oh, I, Jesus, there's I more. spoke about how, like, after that game, things were crumbling under this manager. Why they switched to a back five. I don't know. I don't know if he felt like certain players were dipping out of form. If the, if the fixtures were coming too fast and furious and certain guys like Alderweireld, who had been one of Tottenham's best players for the portion of the season where they were thriving. If those guys needed a break, I don't, I don't know, but I do know that what's happening right now is terrible. And this has become, from a league perspective, a lost season in a season where I don't know that it, it was that it needed to go that way. So I have more receipts. I don't need to please, play them for don't, you. Please don't. <laughs> I don't need to play them for you. But like this, this is my frustration is like I'm a Jose lover. So the things that I criticize him don't get heard because that's not like I guess it just doesn't fit what people view me to be like. 
that is frustrating to me. Now, what's also frustrating is that I feel like I, I honestly do feel that people are are somewhat unfair with him. Oh um, God! Yeah, you see that I don't buy. I think that's that's such nonsense. But like, not every but, but not everything has been bad for this club. Like that's and, and to hear look uh, to be blunt to hear you, like it's only bad. And when it's not, it's it's has nothing to do with him. And I just I don't think like to me that's not that's not true that's either. Not don't fair. don't make me go through their seats. I said I felt he let the handbrake off against the like of it was Burnley at home. And I said you know what that the front four he played the fact that they put a move together down the left hand side for one of the goals where they passed the ball four or five times. <laughs> what an amazing thing that is to see under Jose Mourinho keeping possession of the ball. Well, Look, how do you like that? I'm and not this, gonna. I, and they I, scored, I have your receipts too. And they scored a goal. And I thought, you know what? He's let the handbrake off. The test is whether he does it against a team that he's afraid of. And he came into this game like a frightened little mouse. And he sent out Tottenham. This Tottenham side against the worst Arsenal side I have seen in 20 years to do nothing. They contributed nothing to this game except that amazing Lamella goal, which somehow came at the end of a move, which must have had 16 or 17 passes in it from the minute that Lucas Moura did that slaloming run where he stays on his feet. It was such a mirage, such an oasis in the desert. I couldn't friggin' believe it. This manager is... He is selling so many of you a total lie, like the fabrication. We didn't have enough. We didn't have enough pressure. We didn't have enough X or Y. You, you, what are you talking about? You set that team up to play that way, and then you come out in the press conference after, and you go, "I don't know what was wrong with the team. We didn't play well. We didn't have intensity. You set it up that way because you were not interested in playing football." But are you? But like that's what I'm saying, though. Is the implication then that when he's telling them to press? He's actually not telling them to do that. Like, what is Andrew, it that you're saying? So, so one of two ways is bad for him, and it comes back to him. If he's telling them to press and they're not doing it, then he should be sacked immediately. If he's telling them to press and they can't do it, it's because he hasn't done the work on the trigger points. You press when the fullback, like it's it's you know, the press isn't just everybody runs after the ball, the press is kind of coordinated. Do you see any evidence of that? Either way, he loses. He can't coach the press or the players don't have enough respect to implement his his uh, his plan. But what I'm saying is like, I don't know if people stopped watching them at near the end of the Pochettino era. I did not. And a, a lot of games looked like this. Uh, so but like that doesn't really get talked about. But, but Andrew, there are players on this on. team that that you had told me were finished under Pochettino yeah. that are still key contributors to this team that he is at, that Mourinho has actually gotten a lot out of. And I don't mean to make this about anti Pochettino. He's my all time favorite manager. It's but not Andrew, about that. Andrew let's Occam's razor here. Whatever is the most likely is the, is, is probably true. Is it likely that under Pochettino, they were a pressing side that pressed all the time. It was part of the plan. And by the end, they'd stopped doing it. It was over for that manager. That can be true. It can also be true. Mourinho never had them pressing. Never. At, not at any point where, was this team going out to press. He's not a pressing manager. And now we're supposed to believe he is one and he's asking them to do it. That, that can be the state of play. These are the most likely um, factors. But what I'm saying, when I talk about like the issue of fairness, like I talk about stuff like what was the, the stretch that Tottenham went through when they had scored five, six, seven, 
and then the three, three against West Ham. And like people are saying that it should have been more. And like, you know, Tottenham just became uh, Manchester city just joined them today. But I think until today, Tottenham and Bayern Munich were the only two teams in Europe's top five leagues that had scored a hundred goals so far this season. So there are narratives out there. Like he, he has been the manager of a club that did that. Do you watch this team and think that this is a team that is set up to press? No, but I'm not even, I'm not even talking just about the press. Like there's this idea that he's playing for nil nils, but they've also scored a hundred goals this season. They played on the counter. They picked off the, look at each one of those games, United, a complete and utter shambles, a defensive collapse. Okay. Spurs picked them off. Fair enough. I give them credit for that. Um, they picked off Southampton with their high line. And, and I mean, look, Southampton, they're not averse to conceding the odd goal or two, as we've noticed. They picked off six there. OK, but Andrew, that suddenly stopped really quickly. We talked about the stats. They were way outperforming their XG and it fell off the cliff that we expected it to. And now we're exactly where we knew we would be. And what are we supposed to say now? It's not his fault. It's nothing to do with him. It's the players. I, I can't buy it. That is the other thing that is frustrating to me during his tenure is that this idea that when things go wrong, it's only him. I don't know. I listen to other podcasts, other Tottenham podcasts, and like players it's should both. also get criticized. I, like, it, I, I feel like that's sure. a thing that doesn't happen with this team. When, when I, I underestimated that when this guy took over, that, you know, whether it's his ego, now it, it becomes entirely about him. And maybe that's some of his own doing but we should be able to see through that. Like we should be able to see when it's him and when it's the players. Andrew, it's not, not all him. Who's not, but who's saying it's all him. We just, we just spent 10 minutes criticizing Matt Doherty for not being good at one and V one defending. That was on him. That was part of it. It's also, it's also a component. It can be both things that he's been put in a side that doesn't suit the way he plays, that he has players ahead of him that can't help out. It's two things. We've criticized the players. We've criticized the players when they've put in bad performances I don't think this manager is, is putting them in the best position to win games or to even play football. I mean, I can't watch 90 minutes of that dreck and come away with, you know, I mean, I just seen so much from this guy already and it's exactly where I thought it'd be. Nowheresville. Spurs well, are a worse side now than they were under Pochettino. From the end of his tenure, I think that they're kind of the same. Okay. I mean, look, he, again, I love him. He he lost his job for a reason. Like they were, it was over. And he kind of said so. It looked a lot like this. It did. So that's my point, essentially, is yeah, that I I'm feel not... I, have, I have been critical of him and people, for whatever reason, don't want to hear that because I've also... Because I also don't believe that everything is his fault. I, I think the big I I think you've made that point and I think you're fair. I, I would say though that um the idea that people are being unfair to Mourinho, I I don't get that bit. Can we finish with some Arsenal? Yeah, before, sure. Before we get out of this segment, I thought this was a lovely paragraph from um from Ars blog, just kind of summing up where Arsenal fans are at the end of that game. I don't know what the odds were that we'd produce a good win away from home in the Europa League and a North London Derby win, but after the mistakes of we've made of late, I'd say they were longer than you might expect. We have to build on it, produce consistency and all the rest, but for right now, on this Monday morning, we should allow ourselves to enjoy it. Bask a little, like some kind of shark who in nature and nomenclature is the master of the concept. He refers to the basking shark, of course. I thought that was a lovely little paragraph because that's exactly should. That's exactly where Arsenal are right now. I honestly think coming out of this one, the, the wise old heads of the Arsenal support 
will be, that was great. That was great to win that derby. And there were really good signs there, but we got to keep going with this. I wouldn't read too much into it. Uh, do you want to do your second Ireland goal? Yeah, let's do that. The second Ireland goal, it's Shane Long in the 1-0 victory over Germany in 2015 European Championship qualifiers. Walters coming back from an offside position, but Shane Long was definitely onside. Shane Long has done it! A good night for Ireland! Might just be turning into a great night for Ireland! Very nice. What a goal that was. Do you remember where you were for some of these? Um, I definitely was in a bar for that one somewhere in New York. And I remember things going a bit crazy. All right. Um, and also the noise was, yeah, I think it was that game because the noise was turned up in the bar pretty high. I think it was legends in New York. And um, just, just to hear the crowd there. Oh, chills down your spine. Uh, we've, had well, few, we've had a few good days. Of course. Uh, we'll get to your number one. We'll do that at the end. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll do the mailbag now, and then we'll, uh, we'll do your number one goal at the end. What do you have here for the mailbag? Uh, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com, at Pod on Twitter, ESPN. Follow us there. Give us a rating on iTunes, please. And also, when you see this tweet come out, hit retweet so the most amount of people can, you know, enjoy our festival of soccer that we host every week here. Uh, people asking for our thoughts as Latan Ibrahimovic returns to international football after a five-year a five-year absence, thoughts, Andrew. Um, I 13, mean, thirty-nine currently injured, but still potent. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is he's he's played so well that I, I guess if you're Sweden and he wants to play for you, who are you to say no? We're good. Maybe there's players on that team that will roll their eyes at him coming back. Um, well, funny you should mention this. I decided that we would check in with our friend Philip O'Connor in Sweden, in Gothenburg, and um, see what he says about the situation um, because he has his ear to the ground, obviously. He, uh, I asked him, how will it go? How do you see this playing out? He said, it depends which Zlatan shows up. If dad Zlatan, father of the nation, shows up, then it's great. But if Bully's Latin shows up, it will not go well. And I, asked I didn't him, know he had that gear, Dad's Latin. Yeah, apparently he can be a unifying force within the within the squad, almost hmm. a, a paternal figure. Um, and then I asked, do you think his introduction could alter the way the team plays? Will the squad welcome him back? And Philip said, I don't think it'll alter the way they play. He'll be asked to do less running than Marcus Berg because that's because he can't run like Berg does. The squad will welcome welcome him. Uh, Quezon, Isaac, Kulovesky all grew up idolizing him. This is like Christmas for them. Wow. Okay. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, another note that people wanted us to talk about quickly was uh, Wilfried Zaha. Uh, he became the first Premier League player to not take a knee before a game since the demonstration began last season, standing during the pre-match ritual against West Brom on Saturday. This is what he had to say, and I think... Uh, here it is. My decision to stand at kickoff has been public knowledge for a couple of weeks now. There is no right or wrong decision, but for me personally, I feel kneeling has just become a part of the pre-match routine. And at the moment, it doesn't matter whether we kneel or stand. Some of us still continue to receive abuse. He goes on. I know there is a lot of work being done behind the scenes at the Premier League and other authorities to make change. And I fully respect that and everyone involved. 
I also fully respect my teammates and players at other clubs who continue to take the knee. As a society, I feel we should be encouraging better education in schools and social media companies should be taking stronger action against people who abuse others online, not just footballers. I now just want to focus on football and enjoy being back on the pitch. I will continue to stand tall. I feel like that's a fair enough comment to make, Andrew. And um, like it's, it's broadly in line with stuff he said already over the past few months and at a, a conference last week or the week mm. before. He's right. Like, I don't think anybody is in any position to tell these guys how to feel about these issues. Yeah. And I can imagine being in the position when you see how many uh, players and people around the game have been racially abused on social media, how they may think that, well, what we're doing right now isn't quite working. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Magical Martial. Does Che Adams declaring for Scotland improve their chances at the Euros? I know it's early for these questions, but I'm getting excited. Um, I kind of feel that excitement too, although I kind of hope we have fans in the stands for all these games, but we shall see. Robertson, um, McTominay, Tierney, McGinn, Fraser, Che Adams. It's not bad. Yeah, I think potentially. It's not like Che Adams is a goal machine. He is 7-28, which is pretty good for Southampton considering. Um, but Ollie McBurney and Ollie Burke, certainly are not goal machines. Scotland scored 16 goals in their Euro qualifying group proper. I'm not counting the Nations League, so don't get on me. And six of those came against San Marino. So that was 10 games, 10 goals. They could do with an injection of, of striker up front. Yes. I, I think that is fair. I think that is fair to say. And finally, Andrew, um, Sell Smooth wants to know my favorite pub in all of Ireland and why? Uh, let me guess. It's the um, I've told you this, haven't the, I? The uh, the Guinness pub at the top of the factory at the end of the tour. Wrong, Andrew. Oh. Wrong. That's where I would encounter tourists like yourself, no oh, doubt. Oh, I see. Um, no, it's the uh, beach bar in Ahras in Sligo. Imagine a thatched bar, Andrew. Thatched roof, old style, old timey bar on the inside, on the beach. Mm. A, just right on the front of the beach. You can look down the strand, look out over uh, Ben Bulbin and across to Knocknaray. And uh, it's just magic. And the pints of Guinness in there are beautiful and the food's pretty good too. Other bars are available, but that is my favorite one. What I would give oh. to be back in a bar for any event. Oh my God. For us podcasting, our, our, our first podcast in normality should be from a pub with two creamy pints of Guinness. That sounds nice. Uh, in the spirit of that, let's get your number one. My number one goal is the, well, I'll put it to you this way. It was the goal that brought down Louis van Hal as manager of Holland. They were very close, but a, it was Jason McAteer's winner against Holland in September 2001. World Cup qualifier. Duff in close attendance. Keen is five. Duff helping it on towards Finnett. Finnett facing Cuckoo. And a little cross in there, and it's come through here. McAteer! Nice. There oh, you go. That was, that was gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. By the end of that game, Louis van Hal had thrown on, because Holland had to get something from the game. He threw on four strikers. He had Ruud van Nistelrooy, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Oh, who else was playing? Was Burkamp still playing? Um, Patrick Clivert. <laughs> he just threw the kitchen sink at it. Well, it's total football, right? I mean, okay, that but... was like their thing. 
as many strikers Positions as you can. Positions don't matter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, this didn't, was... I could be wrong. Didn't Robbie Keane score a huge late goal for Ireland in the 2002 World Cup in the yeah, group against, stage? against Germany. Yeah. Uh, somebody asked me, was there a better goal scored for Ireland in the tournament? How does that we... not make the cut? Um. Yeah, that was in a 1-1 draw. But didn't that get them... Didn't they advance out of the group stage? I mean, they had to beat Saudi Arabia after that, but that draw pretty much did it. Yeah. yeah. And they were the only team to score against Germany um, before, the, before Brazil did in the final. Um, in actual fact, I look back at that game as a missed opportunity. We should have won that game, but whatever. JJ is always very cutting edge. No, World Cup goals. Uh, I go with the qualifiers and Euros. Sometimes I enjoy the, the, the journey rather than the, you know, because getting there is the big thing for Ireland and we don't really do it that much anymore. Well, there you go. That is our podcast uh, for this week. Enjoy your St. Patrick's Day, however you are able to celebrate. Um, do it safely, however, you, like I said, however you choose to do it. And I don't just mean from a drinking standpoint. Usually that's what I mean when I say celebrate safely on St. Patrick's Day. I also mean, obviously, from, from a virus standpoint as well. That is important. Thank you for that, Andrew. Thank you for reminding us of the global situation that we are in. Guys, crack open a can of Guinness in safety and toast your old buddy, JJ. I will. Maybe I'll FaceTime you as I do it. I'd love to see you with a pint of Guinness. I, I don't think it's an Andrew drink, but we'll see. What does that mean? Oh, I, whatever. I'll take it for however I want it to mean, and I'll uh, project my frustrations on you for it after this podcast finishes recording. Old, I've got the receipts, Andy. <laughs> that is our show for this week. I enjoyed it. It was therapeutic to you, I say. Ah, oh, check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 